The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Okay, so before I forget, announcement uh, for those who have not already uh, registered this on their schedule. Uh, all of my shirim will be on hiatus for the last two weeks of January, so this shir will not be scheduled to meet until February. Um, I'll uh, obviously announce it then. Okay, so we have a mission today. We have 45 minutes. We'll be at 43 minutes. Our mission is, because this is going to be the last year before the break, uh, then I would like to try to wrap this up, okay? Um, obviously, we, we're not going to answer all the questions, but what our goal is going to be is to answer Adler's four questions. Um, this is from the methodology here, uh, uh, the methodology here that I gave before. Um, what is the parak saying as a whole? Meaning, what's the theme or subject or the main idea and message in like a sentence? Two, what is the parak saying in detail and how? Uh, what do the individual psukim mean? Why are the psukim ordered in this manner? Why does he say these things in this way? That's the least of our priorities. Question number two, that's if we have time, we'll just do as much of the details as possible. Three, is the parak true in whole or in part? Um, meaning to the satisfaction of our own minds. Obviously, we we hold that it's true by virtue of the fact that it's in, uh, in, in Tanakh, but are we convinced? Uh, and then four, what of it? Uh, what's the purpose of this? What effect is this supposed to have on us? How are we supposed to change our lives or our relationship uh, with Hashem based on this? And that, that's going to be the second priority question. So we're prioritizing it. Question one, then four, then three, and two are, are like uh, trailing behind. Um, without rereading the entire parak, I'm just let's just refresh our memories here. I ended up just taking out the green on uh, seven and eight and just made the 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 dividing line much cleaner here. Um, so two through seven is one which has to do with David Amalek in his state of suffering, asking Hashem for uh, healing and for assistance. And then 8 through 11 is telling the tor his tormentors that Hashem has responded to his prayer or Hashem will accept his prayer. Um, and, uh, and so we did not really get a satisfying unification of that. Last time what we focused on really was Pusuk number two. So I wanted to review that and I wanted to clarify that. And then we'll tackle the Adler's four questions. So... Hashem, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not chastise me in your wrath. Um, we said, uh, based on the Radak, so the Radak said, actually, that uh, what does it mean, do not rebuke me in your anger? So first of all, he's framing his sickness as a rebuke. And what we said last time is, that's true. Either this is a rebuke from Hashgacha, via Hashgacha Pratis, that God is specifically intervening to rebuke him because he's on the level in the same way that he would send uh, Tsaras to afflict Miriam, you know, um, uh, or a plague to affect Avimelech, you know, in order to clue them in on the fact that they need to do tshuva for something in a specific way. Or the fact that David Melech is sick means that he doesn't warrant the level of Hashgacha to be protected and Hashem is withdrawing is, is turning is hiding his face. And, and that also warrants Chuva. It's not a specific directed like message in an envelope Chuva, but it is a, 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 a general thing that if David and were on a certain level, then he would not receive this, uh, the suffering. Um, so that's where David Melch is saying, he's acknowledging that it's tochacha, that it's rebuke, but then he's saying, don't rebuke me in your wrath. And what that means is more than I can tolerate. Uh, that I can tolerate this. Um, so the question that was asked to me was by Mayan. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Before we said this. So we, we said last time, why do we phrase this as Hashem's anger and what are we supposed to make of it? So we said that really, obviously we don't take anger literally because Hashem doesn't have emotions. But the question is, do we just throw away the mashal once we decode it? Like, are these mashalim only for people who are on a, uh, you know, on the level where they need to relate to God 
through you know imagery and in human metaphors. Uh, but people like David don't need to, or is there some level at which David can relate to it? So what we said was the second way, which is that that it's not enough to know something in our minds because if you just know it in your mind and you let your emotions just do their thing, they will not be in line with your knowledge. And you are one organism. You are a rational animal. And we want, you know, knowledge of Hashem should move the entire organism. So you you first have to get the idea clear with your mind, but then you have to, to say it and, and convey it to the emotions in, in their language, which is in sensory, in muscle form, in you know appealing to their imagination, focusing on the particulars. So what, when we read this, when we're, let's say when, if we're in David Amelik's situation and we're sick, we recognize intellectually that this is as a result of our relationship to Hashem and that we should do tshuva. But we also emotionally relate to it as though Hashem is angry because emotionally that's what we need to feel. When someone is angry at you, then the healthy response is, I did something wrong and I need to make this right. That's the feeling that we should have when we talk about uh, when, when we, we uh, talk about Hashem's anger towards us. Okay. Uh, any just questions on that before we go to Mayan's question and then before we go to the four questions? <laughs> A lot of questions flying. Okay. Um, so, I guess yeah. I, I do have a question. Um, how, uh, it seems kind of strange to um, make your emotions relate to something that's not true. Like normally you would want, I would think you would want your emotions to be related to true things. So if it's not true that God has emotions, then right. it's kind of yeah. funny. So, so here's the thing. I mean, there, I think there's two ways to look at this. Okay. There's conceptually there's two approaches here. Okay. Either what we're doing, either the plan I just laid out is attempting to get the emotions to the truest thing possible or the most accurate thing or the least inaccurate thing. Okay. Um, and that's the best that you can do. Or there is a mode in which I'm going to say this without knowing what I mean, where truth value to the emotions is different than truth value to the mind. Okay. Uh, let's, let, let's, let's leave that aside for a second. Let me explain the first part. Um, for example, the question is often asked, like uh, by students, they ask this question because they speak English. Um, but uh, you know, this question is not going to apply in Hebrew. But they ask me, you know, if Hashem is not doesn't have a gender because gender is a biological quality, so then why do we refer to Hashem as as He as opposed to it? You know, and the answer to that is that it. So so from from a strictly like uh, uh, you know strictly speaking it would remove the idea of gender and therefore you would not relate to Hashem through a gender. So you can argue that that's more accurate. However, emotionally, if you refer to Hashem as an it, so then you're going to relate to him as an object or as something inanimate or something that you're going to be in, in that relationship that you are the person and he is the thing. And that is going to emotionally put you into a position where you feel superior to him, you know? So it would be, it's more accurate in the perspective of the emotions to relate to God as a being, even though that forces us to, to choose genders, then it would be, then if we, if we spoke to, about Hashem as an it, similarly, like we, you know, we, we saw, um, I don't know what year this was in, <laughs> but, uh, uh, we don't have any positive notion of God, uh, of God's oneness or his existence. So when we say God exists, we really just mean that the opposite of, of non-existence. But the thing is, is for the emotions, 
relating to God as an existence is more accurate than relating to God as though he doesn't exist because with existence, we're, we're, you know, like, like, I think this is the, uh, who says this? I think this is Sefer Karim says, you know, let's just take God as the creator, you know, only beings who exist can do actions and we definitely relate to God's actions. So what's more accurate in terms of the way we like mentally shape our view of God, that actions are coming from nothing or actions are coming from an existing being. So obviously it's coming from an existing being. And even though the only existence we know is physical existence, and in that sense, it's inaccurate, it's more accurate for us to relate to God that way. So we're getting our emotions as close as possible, you know, even though we actually can't bridge that gap because our emotions only relate to the physical and God's non-physical. So that's, that, that's one answer. Uh, does that make sense of? Yes. Okay. Yes. The other answer, I don't know what I meant. Um, so I, I just said it. Uh, I feel like there's an intuition there, but I don't want to spend time talking about it right now. Um, and, and we'll go with the answer that works right now. Okay. So Mayan had a question uh, after last time when we talked about Shem's anger, which said, I had a follow-up from tonight's Tehillim Shir. If David's aim is to change himself, I feel like pleading for God to change his plan isn't put, focusing on his own actions or mindset needing to change, but rather focusing on God's. It's almost like putting the responsibility on God to act. And what she means is, um, and Mayan, you can <laughs> jump in yourself if you if you mean something other than what I said. Um, Hashem, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chastise me in your wrath. So if you just look at the statement, Dovey is asking Hashem to change. He's not asking for himself to change. So the question is like, why is he asking? And also, be gracious unto, uh, unto me, Hashem, for I am feeble. He and Hashem, for my bones shuddered with terror. You know, uh, desist Hashem, release my soul, right? So the emphasis is on asking Hashem to change. So how is that, like, appropriate, given what we said, that that really he's trying to change himself? Would anyone like to try to answer that question? Can I further the question? Yes, that's also an option. How is it even okay or possible to ask Hashem to change if we we know as like right. a, a fact Hashem just doesn't change. Right. So asking Hashem to change just seems like a foolishness. Okay, good. So without answering the question myself, that was the first part of my answer. So I, I, I was, I think I was, uh, I was driving somewhere um, and, uh, and, uh, or I was, I was doing something. So I, I said, first, good question. I have to think about that more, but I suspect the answer lies in how asking Hashem for non-angry punishment changes the way David relates to his illness and the tshuva he would do. So that's the first step is somehow asking Hashem to change. Since we know Hashem can't change, then when we ask Hashem to change, we're really doing that as a way of getting ourselves to change. And now the question is how, especially given the language. Again, the language is definitely putting the focus on Hashem changing. Anyone else have an answer? I don't have an answer, but I can read the answer I gave my on. <laughs> I, I trust myself then when the, she asked me this question on Thursday night. So it was very fresh in my mind. So let's see what I said. I said, here's an analogy. If you're going to an authority figure to ask for mercy and being punished for an offense, and you say, I know what I did was really bad and I don't deserve special treatment, but I'm begging you to take it easy on me for X, Y, Z reasons. It's true that you're appealing to that authority to change their behavior, but you're also forcing yourself to face the severity of your own offense and recognizing what true justice would dictate. That's how David's plea affects change in himself, despite being a request for divine mercy. So when he says to Hashem, Hashem, do not rebuke me in your anger. He's saying like the Radak explicitly says for Laman Chastecha, hold on, where was that? 
Lema'an Chazdecha. That is a phrase in this Tehillim, isn't it? Lema'an. Uh, wait, did I just type something? Yeah, hold on. Lema'an Chazdecha. Uh, did he not? I'm not finding this. He says somewhere here, not because of my righteousness. I know that he used that phrase. Oh, here we go. It's Hoshein Laman Chastecha, Lola Bitsikasi, Kiyadati Kiani Chayev. So he's he's so when he says Hashem, don't be uh don't rebuke me in your wrath, he's acknowledging that I deserve a rebuke in full wrath because of what I did. But I'm recognizing and I'm recognizing that I don't deserve mercy. And that recognition changes changes David. And same thing when he's giving these, you know, when he says, um, like, uh, save me so that I can, uh, where is it? Um, oh, for in the de- in death, there's no mention of you in the grave who will gratefully acknowledge you. So it sounds like, like he's just trying to give Hashem reasons to persuade him. Obviously, Hashem knows all these reasons. He's really saying this to Hashem in order to, to make it real to himself, that the reason why I'm asking to be saved is not just so I can go party, but so that I can be involved in, in pursuing knowledge of you, you know? Um, so it's for himself. And the reason, now you can ask me one step further. You can say, well, why does he phrase it still? Why is he even phrasing it at all about Hashem? So I think this has to rec- this is because he has to recognize, and this is an important point, that he ha- David Amel has no control, that it's all in Hashem's hands. So that's asking Hashem, like and, and it's rec- so in other words, it's two things. It's recognizing that this is all from Chesed Hashem and mercy, and David doesn't deserve it, and and it's all in Hashem's hands. It's David relinquishing control and relinquishing um, uh, security in his own efforts. And again, this is a perfect example of what we just talked about of like speaking in ways that the emotions will under will 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 uh, will relate to. Like you can say like like. I don't control things, you know, and like, and, and, and that's that intellectually might, 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 uh, um, you know, might, ha- uh, be clear. But when you say Hashem, I, I, I'm, I'm throwing myself at your mercy. I, I, please save me. It's putting yourself into the mindset where you're realizing I, it's not up to me. It's up to Hashem. You know, it's, it's, it's getting your emotions in line with, with that recognition. Can I try to draw a connection here? Yeah. That also might help. So I was thinking this really sounds like how Ramban explains Corbanos and how he says, like, you really have to recognize that the animal is really supposed to be you and that you are getting mercy. And it also, I was like, wait. And on top of that, we know that Corbano were used like before tefillah as tefillah. Um, that's not according to the Rambam. Uh, Rambam holds no, Ram- that. Wasn't that Ramban? I don't know about what the Ramban holds, but Rambam definitely doesn't hold that. Is, I thought you yeah. said Rambam. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to find something. Hold on just a second here. Um, Rambam on Corbanos because it's more than just that. Uh, uh, you're correct, by the way, but it's more than just that. Um, if you look at the Rambam in, and, and obviously this is not the time to go into the whole thing about the Rambam on Corbanos, but basic idea, right, is that Ramam holds that Corbanos really are not ideal and that Hashem only tolerated them, so to speak, and incorporated them into Torah because that was the primary mode of worship. And if he didn't allow for that in Torah, 
then then Claudio would uh, go to Avodazara, you know. So he says something very, very uh, sneaky in here. He says like this. Therefore, his wisdom and plan, this is in the Morn of Wuhim 332. Um, well, actually, let's go back up one paragraph. Now, Shem sent Moshe to make the Israelites into a kingdom of priests and holy nation through our knowledge of God, and we should devote ourselves to his service. But the universal practice in those days and the general mode of worship to which they were accustomed consisted in sacrificing animals in those temples which contained certain idols and bowing down to them and burning incense before them. The pious and priestly individuals were in those days the persons who were devoted to the service in the temples built for the planets, as we've explained. Okay, therefore, his wisdom and plan as displayed throughout the entirety of creation did not require the discontin discontinuation, abandonment, and abolition of all these forms of service because this would have been contrary to the nature of man who clings to what he's accustomed. It would have in those days made the same impression as a prophet would make at present if he called us to the service of Hashem and told us in his name that we should not pray to him, not fast, and not seek his help in times of trouble, but that we should serve him in thought alone without any actions at all. Okay, now, Raman was speaking on two levels. To the average reader, you're just going to use this as a muscle, okay? Meaning, yeah, it, can you imagine if Hashem went to a shul of, of Jews who were in uh, most of our, you know, Jewish history where we're, we have all of these problems and like we're being attacked from all over the place. And, and, and the Navi said, hey guys, stop praying to Hashem. Just stop asking. It would feel like Hashem took away their primary means of relating to him, you know? Um, okay, but on the, the deeper level, he's saying, according to my understanding here, is in the same way that really the essence of Corbano, uh, really Corbanos, themselves are not necessary per se, right? You would really, you should really, you know, uh, the, the ideal, the perfected human being should be able to serve Hashem without the need of like the, these symbolic actions, you know, but God had to cater to human nature because that's the best way to get humanity in line with perfection. So too, Tfila is not strictly speaking necessary for a person on a higher level. Okay. Really, Moshe Rabbeinu did not need to daven. He could just communicate to, uh, he could just serve God in thought alone, okay? And Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need to fast. And Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need to seek his help in times of trouble, okay? Through like tefillah and all those things. He, Moshe could just relate to God in thought per se. But we, who are not on that level, and by the way, the, the proof, at least in terms of tefillah, is, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this is a proof, but it, it certainly is a, is a uh, indication that tefillah is, is dispensable, is the halacha of Torah Umanaso that if you are on the high, uh, high enough level of learning Torah, which we don't have nowadays, then you're putter from tefillah, you know, entirely. Um, and so your entire avodah, your, your only avodah would be avodah of Talmud Torah, not avodah of tefillah, you know? So, so the thing is, is that, so like what Rivi is saying though, we can't relate to God in thought alone. We need to harness all of the emotional faculties at our disposal. We need to bow to God because we standing upright and not doing a physical posture, which makes us subordinate. We wouldn't be able to fully subordinate ourselves to God if we didn't do that physically. You know, um, we need to speak because thinking in our minds is different than speaking. So we need to speak because it makes it more real to our emotions. We need to address God in the second person. And, and, you know, uh, because that brings to mind the idea of God's like absolute existence that he is, you know, um, so to speak present, uh, and we can't just think it. So like all these things we need for emotional reasons. So Rifki, you were more right than you thought because the Rome actually mentions Tefillah. Uh, question? Yeah. 
Um, I guess this is a totally different topic and you can punt if you want, but okay. it's sort of related, but, um, how it, I guess, um, how is Tefillah different than all the other mitzvahs that like, you know, the Avos, let's say didn't need mitzvahs necessarily. Yeah. So how, uh, how is that different? Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's table that for now. <laughs> okay. Got it. Uh, yeah. Good, good question. Uh, I, I don't even know the answer to that one. I'll have to think about it, but it is a good question. Okay. Let's go back to our, um, to heal him now. Okay. And let's try to tackle Adler's four questions. So again, we're prioritizing questions one and four right now. Okay. So what, if you had to summarize the main idea of this parak, what would it be? Um, and again, saying the theme is okay. Like you can say the theme is blank, but we want at least a full sentence. Okay. And this is where we need to do the work of unifying it. Cause I feel like we still didn't unify the two halves. You know, Isaac had a half approach last time of like that. The enemies are not relating to Hashem properly. Uh, you know, David himself is saying, I want to be healed so that I can acknowledge you and mention you. Whereas these enemies aren't doing that. And I, I, I kind of, uh, was not inclined to that approach because it doesn't talk about the enemies being Rashaim. you know, like when we did chapter 36, that was really talking about how the enemies were, you know, were, were, uh, the opposite of, of David in their relationship to Hashem, uh, or at least the Redox said that, but here, here, not so much. Oh, and by the way, I don't have answers. Okay, so like, like, don't wait for me. All right, so we're we're, we're figuring this out now. Um, can I take a stab at the main idea? Please Number do. one. Yeah, I'm just switching these. So, over. this might be going uh, afield a little bit, but maybe like David is saying to himself that he should recognize the severity and the destructive nature of his actions. Mm -hmm. And that the only way to differentiate himself from his enemies who don't recognize the Shem is to recognize that severity and pull away from it. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. That I like, and I'll tell you why, uh, because he's saying, hold on. ish hold on (laughs) there is like this implicit thing here that the enemies are not recognizing the fact that hashem will respond to david because he's saying depart from me all evildoers for hashem has heard the sound of my weeping so they're apparently under the impression that hashem has not heard the sound of his weeping and therefore they don't depart you know and Somehow, when when they realize that Hashem has heard his plea and accepted his prayer, then they'll all be shamed and confounded, and they'll regret their actions. So, say what you said again, Isaiah, because something what you said like highlighted that for me. I think so. I'm saying David in the first part is recognizing the the destructive and harmful nature of his actions and mm-hmm. his the way he relates to Hashem, and in the second part, he's telling himself that he needs to recognize. But the only way he can differentiate himself from his enemies who clearly, I guess, don't recognize Hashem is to realize what he's doing is wrong. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. That's, I think I also like that because it does incorporate that into the Tochacha. Here's a, but this raises another question though. Why is he not viewing? So he's viewing his illness as a result of Hashem's anger at him. Why is he not viewing his enemies as a result of Hashem's anger at him? Like he talks about them as though they're an external thing. And we do know that the enemies are 
are a form of Hashem's anger because in the Tochacha, in in the Torah, in both of them, then being victimized by your enemies is one of the ways that Hashem rebukes the nation. You know, um, you could argue maybe the nation is different than, than the individual, but uh, I mean, I don't see why it shouldn't be, if, especially if we're talking about Hester Panim, where Hashem hides his, his Hashgacha and, and leaves David victim to everyone. You know, that's the, uh, in fact, I'll bring a riot from David's son, Shlomo Melech, that Shlomo Melech, when he did his hate, Hashem had been holding back Shlomo's enemies and then he says that once Shlomo did that, then he let the enemies free, and then that then they 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 harmed him. Like he withdrew the pr- protection. So like that that clearly is a thing. Um, how are you seeing that this is not part of the punishment? Like it seems like to me like it could be. Well, he's not talking about it as though it's part of the punishment. He's saying he's not. I mean, okay, you you could say that in eight. I'll, I'll be willing to grant that in eight um, is uh, you, you could you could say that as part of the punishment. But in nine, he's saying it's the result as a result of God accepting his, his chuvenist fila, then the enemies will go away. Right. So doesn't that mean that it could be that the enemies were correlated to Hashem not accepting his fila? Okay. So that, 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 that's true, but he's also like trying to shove it in their face. It seems right now you, you could, you could say you could maybe you could come up with another reason why he does that, you know, like let them be shamed and confounded and regret like it makes it more about them than like it'd be like if he said for the uh you know for the first part like take that coronavirus you know whatever disease he was uh, suffering from um uh, so that that to me suggests that there's something else going on with the enemies here i think i'm thinking of it a little bit differently is it's more like his enemies um He's experiencing anger at his enemies because of the state that he's in, not yeah. as a not, not as an effect of the ah, okay, punishment good. that he's receiving. Okay, yeah, and and Radak did say that, right? Because he said that they are his enemies are how are they tormenting him? That um, ha that they rejoice at his illness. Yeah. See, yeah, there's got to be connection there also because the fact that they're rejoicing at his illness is part of the suffering, like you just said. Yeah. There's also the the flip, right, of Bahala and Yavosha, yeah. right, that he has it, and then the the Nafshi mode, and then in the end, you have it, they're going to be of the issue of the Yavala. Right. So that's so, a good point. Um, that is so he is Nivhalu here. He's his bones are terrified and his soul is terrified. And then at the flip side, then they are going to be they're going to be terrified. Yeah, you know, I was also toying with an idea here. I, I don't know if this is reading too much into it. I'd noticed that. Hold on. Nah, too speculative. Uh, this might also be speculative, but yeah. it kind of seems like in the first part, he's um, his goal, or at least some of his goal is um, so that he can do maybe like Kiddush Hashem or, or something like that, acknowledge yeah. Hashem. Um, so maybe um, part of what's bothering him is that um, 
him being down and the way that his that his enemies are uh i don't know talking about things is is um some sort of Hashem. i hear i hear that yeah i uh yeah, I mean, it does kind of sound like a Kiddush hashem type argument here with 10 and 11, that like once Hashem saves him, that will put his enemies to shame. They'll realize that God relates to him and accepts his prayer. Yeah, I, I hear that. I, I don't think that's so speculative. So maybe maybe let's do this then. Let's try to get, I mean, I know that's what we're trying to do right now to unify the thing, but like, Can we just maybe say what we have from the parak, ignoring the specific question of how to unify and tie in the last couple of psukim? And then maybe if we get the main idea clear enough, then that'll trickle down into, uh, like, it'll, it'll explain how we see everything else. So what, what is the, the main idea or what is the parak trying to, to do? Is it, like, trying to get us to recognize how Hashem works within the bounds of like not just punishment, but also like, I guess our view of how he interacts with us on that level. Yeah. But I think in a specific scenario, I think in the specific scenario like of, of, sickness? of sickness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going, just go again. I'm kind of taking the redox lead here. Um, so it's either about David's sickness or it's about anyone who's sick. And and then David goes, says this thing. And then at the end, when he says, Hashem has heard my my plea and he's take, he's accepted my tefillah, he says, uh, Oh, no, sorry. That's not the part I meant. Uh, Hashem has heard my uh, cry. When he recovered from his illness, he said this. Or when he's in his illness, and he's speaking about the future in, in with the Ruch Kodesh. Here's the part. Anyone who is sick can say this um, if he davens with a broken and you know uh, and, and and crushed heart. So that's an interesting thing. So hold on, let's focus on that. If you're saying this. You're going through two phases. You're going through the phase of recognizing how liable you are and and how this is a tochacha and how Hashem could give you what you deserve, but he's not, and and realizing why you are you you are asking to be healed, which is so you can remember Hashem. And then based on that, you're affirming the fact that God has heard my prayer, meaning that someone who actually has this recognition, then God has heard their prayer. And, and in other words, like it bolsters your conviction in both the 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 mechanism of tefillah. That's like the first half, like what this tefillah, how you're supposed to daven when you're sick, and in the reality of the tefillah. Now, again, when I say the reality of the tefillah, I don't mean that that I don't mean that any that every single person who davens uh, who's sick then Hashem heals. That's clearly not true, right? So it doesn't when you say Hashem has heard my prayer, like. Like there are people who die of of, of illness in, in great tzaddikim, you know. So it's it's, it's not like a, a a guarantee in in the, in that sense, but it means that like this is the type of of tefillah that registers uh, in in uh, in Hashem's uh, value system. That's what it means that he accepts it, you know, um, and that all you're trying to do is to be the type of person whose tefillah Hashem hears. That's what you're really trying to see. Maybe that's better. Okay, that's good. That's a good phrase. <laughs> okay when you daven 
the result is not in your hand. Obviously, you're davening for a result. But your goal in davening, just like your goal in a decision, okay, let's go Mishle for a second. Just like your goal in a decision in Mishle, your goal is not is not to get the result. That's not in your hands. Your goal is to make the best decision that you can, given the knowledge and and, and given the control that you have. So too in tefillah, your, your goal is not to get healed. You can't control that, and you might not get healed. There might be many reasons why you can't get healed. Your goal is to daven in a way where you are the type of person who whose tefillah God listens to. And that's good no matter what. That's something that is a worthwhile goal no matter what, and is something that that regardless of whether God heals you, you are baraton, you know, like you are, you are in, 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 viewed favorably in God's eyes, you know? Um, and if it's, your, if, it's your, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. I mean, you know, Yaakov Avinu got sick and died, you know, a few partios ago, like, like, you know, he's, he, he, and he lived in line with Hashem's will, you know, but, but the goal is to live in line with Hashem's will. And if you're sick, to use that as a tochacha and to use this as a means, the tshuva and the tefillah as a means of rendering yourself into a person who is, whose tefillah is listened to by Hashem. That's both the main idea and the purpose of it. I have a question on, so then sickness in general. So I know like a lot of people have been saying, I think you actually, we had a share about this like a while ago, um, that like we should be using Corona as a way to really look at ourselves and see what we've been doing wrong and what we can improve on. So every single time we get sick, are we supposed to be viewing it as, even if it's like the smallest thing as a cold, so we should be viewing it like how dove it is, even though it's probably like a more intense- Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah, and and that goes back to what we said, what we reviewed at the beginning of this year is, is like, you know, like if you're sick, like either it is, you know, the a specific like hashgacha pratis, uh, you know, rebuke, targeted rebuke, you know, or it's a Hester punim, a God hiding his face type of hashgacha withdrawal, or if you're in a plague, it could be a hate of the nation, and you're part of the nation, you know, and you have to reflect on that, like. You know, like there, there have been times also in Jewish history where you have great tzaddikim who themselves don't deserve things, but then once God unleashes the plague, it's unleashed. You know, that's that's a, a, a principle of plagues, um, and so so that also merits uh, uh, this type of uh, of tshuva. Um, why is this uh, specifically to sickness? Is isn't that like true of all things that happen to you? Yeah, like but Yisurin that's that's like asking a question again. Th- that's like uh, going back to the, the purpose of Tehillim is for the emotions, right? That's like, like that question is like asking, let's say in Mishle, you, you, you uh, have a pasuk that's about um, a person who acts based on greed uh, and like makes a bad decision because he was blinded. So you could say, isn't that true of all emotions that all emotions blind you? The answer is yes, but, but stating this in the universal is not going to help you. So there's a, there's a Tehillim for being sick. There's a Tehillim for being oppressed by your enemies. There's a Tehillim for feeling outcast. There's a Tehillim for like, you know, what your, 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 your plans don't work. You need to work through the ideas and the emotions together in each particular scenario. <clears throat> and it has to be in, in done in particular for the sake of the emotions. Okay. okay. Yeah. Is that, so that's, that is interesting that it's, it's slightly different than Michelin that way. And that like, you're actually supposed to, like, uh, like read this when you're going through mm-hmm. that situation. Right. Exactly. That, that's the, um, uh, I, I think I brought this up in the, 
let me stop sharing for one second. I think I brought this up in the how to learn uh, Tehillim Shear. Um, in fact, we'll find out because I'll open the PowerPoint again. Um, the Sefer Achinach that, uh, hold on. Sefer Achinach said, this is the idea of what it means. The, like, uh, who did I hear say this? Heard this in Shear. Like, there's no idea of, of, of saying Mishle. I'm going to go recite some Mishle, you know? Um, uh, but Tehillim is Chazal mentioned to say these Psalms since they contain words that inspire the soul that knows them to shelter in Hashem, to place all of one's security in him, to establish a fear of him firmly in his heart and to rely on his kindness and goodness. As a result of this inspiration, he will be protected from every harm without a doubt. Ignore that last line for a second. Cause I, there's a, a different meaning of what that is. Cause that sounds like he's saying he's going to be like protected hundred percent. And I just said that that's not true. Um, but, uh, um, uh, uh, we, I think we have to leave that for another year. Um, but, but my, my point is this part though is that you're saying them in order to inspire your soul, you know, which means both the knowledge and the emotions. Okay. Back to the Helen. Um, so I, is that, is that a good statement of the idea? Main idea being that this parak is about how we should use sickness as a means of, of reflecting on our actions and our liability and the fact that only by God's mercy do we live and only God is in control of everything that happens. And by, by asking God to alleviate our situation for his namesake, we are rendering ourselves into someone who is worthy of his uh, of having our tefillah heard, which is the most we can expect from any of our tefillahs. You can't choose whether God answers your tefillah, but you can choose whether God hears your tefillah by making it by making it right. And that's why we say these absolute statements, that God is close to all who, who called him, to all who called him in truth. That's true, is if you called God in truth with the right ideas and the right emotions, then God God is close to you. That doesn't mean he's going to save you. God doesn't save everyone who's close to him. In fact, <laughs> I was just thinking of this from Tefillah here last night. Not only of you were close to God and they got killed, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, Bikrovaya Kadesh, you know, but whatever, that, that's a separate idea. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think that's a good one sentence summary of the main idea. I said it, I can't repeat it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can listen to the recording. Okay. And then the purpose of this is to actually get us to relate to illness that way, you know, um, and uh, and and to actually like like enact this uh, here, the purpose is very tied to the subject. Sometimes the purpose is is not is not so tied to the subject. Sometimes the subject is like a very like abstract idea, and the purpose is something that is uh, is is some other thing. Um, here is very close. Um, really quick thing, by the way, I know we didn't finish all the questions yet. Does this shed in, insight into why uh, or into how we're supposed to think of this as part of Ashkenazic Tachanon? I think it is kind of clear. Not the sickness part, but I think the recognizing our liability and our utter dependence on Hashem, that's the very idea of Takanun. You know, Takanunim are things that you ask for. Tila, you stand before God and you ask, you place your, your requests like someone standing before the king. Tachanunim is you're laying yourself at the mercy of, uh, of, of God and, and realizing I don't deserve anything. You know, uh, I'm, I'm totally not deserving because I'm liable.
Commissioner Mass? Yeah. Um, just in terms of the enemy issue, it seems like actually the enemy is, is really a new concept in the last puzzle because the evildoers uh, and tormentors seem to be the, the, the suffering and the sickness that he's facing. Oh, that's, that's interesting. That, I mean, yeah, you could say that. Um, you could say that. I think maybe I got it this way because of the redoc, I think. Not again, not that you have to do this, but or or I just projected. Hold on, let's see. Yeah, also, yeah. they're getting I, I shamed, aren't they? Say again. They're getting shamed, aren't they? That's yeah, well, Donnie's saying, Donnie saying that the, the only enemies are the the in the last puzzle, but he's saying that the Sora the uh that's where they're getting shamed, but Sora Rai could be the, the illness itself. And the um, all the other. Right. Yeah. So the yeah the reason why I said that Sorai is the enemies is because that's what the Redox says is he says in Ches that um, uh, which is about Bechol Sorai is Al Oivai Hasmechim Lachaliy or that's the implication at least because he says that's the anger um, I hear the read though and you know um, like the Ramam says uh, in Hillas uh, Tanios you know Al Hatsar Hatsar Eschem on the enemy that afflicts you. And he says that the enemy there, let me make sure I'm not making up a Ramam. Hold on. Uh, hold on here. In Zmanim, Philistinios, uh, in Perak Aleph, Halacha Aleph. Um, he says, Oop, oop. Um, uh, on the, on the tormentor who torments you, then you should sound the trumpets. Anything that afflicts you, kagon, batsoras like drought, bedever, plague, arbe, locust, vagiot, behen. So the the in the pasuk, hatsaratsoraschem is um, plain shot is that it's the it's the actual enemy, like like people. But the Ram is saying that hatsar hatsora could refer to like uh, other anything that afflicts you. So yeah, that that read works out. Still have to explain why he's talking about the enemies being shamed in the end, but. It, it makes a, the other part smoother, at least. He starts out because his initial reaction before acknowledging the reality is shame and frustration and being flustered. And then he's going through this transformative sort of process yeah. and recognition, which is both allowing him to be mitigate, mitigate against some of the experience of the suffering and affliction. And at the same time, those who are who don't want to succeed those who he is competing against those who are his external adversaries yeah. are also get then get frustrated by that growth and that that transition yeah see to me it still feels this is my feeling of the understanding right now still it feels like a a separate idea grafted onto this parrot which would have done finally like would have done well without it you know so i feel like it has to be adding something substantial to the idea that I'm not, I'm not seeing, like I do see the, the, the flip and everything like that. But I feel like if, if we just deleted that part, then it would be a nice parrot. All right. So I, I think this is, it has to be the end of year for now. Um, I'm not saying that we're not going to go back to this <laughs> when we get back, but most likely just predicting my mood, unless I have some sort of breakthrough over the break, I'll probably want to start a new parrot. Cause it'll be two weeks from now, two and a half weeks from now. So Look, th- thankfully, this is one that we say from time to time. So this won't be the only time you uh, uh, you think about it, hopefully. So if you think about more stuff, then let me know, uh, because uh, there's still more promise we work on here. All righty. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, right, thank, you. Night, thank you. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. 
If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.